from days of long ago comes a legend. You have walked into the room of Fireback Radio. You can find us online at firebackradio.com. And of course, I'm your host, Brother Marquise. This is Brother Marquise, and you are in the room of Fireback Radio. Thank you, each and every one of you, for showing up today. I know, I know, I know, I already know, I already know. You guys didn't know what I look like. That's because I don't do these videos, but I'm going to start. And this is the first one. So get used to this beautiful, illustrious space as I will take you on a journey far and wide of thought and plenty of prayer on the side. So today, let's get right into it. Today, I got a special guest for y'all. Alicia Washington. And what we are going to talk about, we're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about mothers, fathers. We're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about emotional damage. We're going to talk about all of that with Alicia. And just, just take a let's take a listen. Alicia. This is what she does. She aids mothers in building confidence, releasing guilt, and getting unstuck. Her motherhood journey from guilt to empowerment led her to help other moms break free. And she learned how to release the myths and mistakes that kept moms mentally stuck. She chronicles her journey through motherhood in an, in, in, in a, oh my gosh, I'm excited y'all in the Amazon bestseller. And that's called girl. Your brand is a big deal anthology. She is on a mission to dispel debilitating mom myths and mistakes through her signature 90 day group coaching program called bloom. Mothers transforming their lives in 90 days. She is based in Indianapolis and she is married. Of course she is. And has two beautiful boys. Okay, y'all, I, I gotta just tell you, that's my wife. I'm busting. That's my wife. Here she is, the illustrious Alicia Washington. Hello, Mrs. Washington. How are you? Hello, Mr. Washington. I'm fine. And how are you? I'm actually fantastic. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. The first thing that I wanted to ask you was, the, the what caught my attention about this was, uh, what brought you to the point to where you realized that you needed some help? I think when I realized why I couldn't answer my husband's question of, he used to bother me or I shouldn't say bother me, but he used to ask me this question. He used to ask me, what, what's my dream? 
And it used to annoy me because I didn't have an answer. And my saying that I didn't have an answer would annoy you because you're like, what do you mean you don't have an answer? What should you, what, what do you want to do? What do you dream about? And um, in coming to the grip that I didn't, that why, realizing why it annoyed me so much was because I did, I really just didn't have an answer and couldn't, couldn't, I was stuck. I couldn't get past finding an answer. I didn't know how to find that answer anymore. And that's when I really realized I was stuck mentally, like just kind of blocked and that I had checked out in a lot of different areas. What do you mean? What do you mean by checked out? I had, I was just going through the motions. You know, I was your wife. I was the boy's mom. And I was just going through the motions. I was giving what I had left to everyone else. But I was really running low. And the things that I used to do to kind of fill my cup wasn't filling it quick enough, full enough. And I didn't really have much to give anymore. That's kind of serious um, being, I mean, I mean, really, because just um, from what I have observed is that a lot of times parents can really lose themselves in parenting. And I think that's pretty much what you were saying. Parents will lose themselves just being a parent. And I I did notice and and one of the reasons why I would ask those questions was because was because of that. I cuz I knew that that you were there but you weren't there. And I was that was for me that was a mechanism to try to shake you awake because I knew that my wife had potential, massive potential. And on the husband side of it it was frustrating because I'm sitting, I'm married to a gold mine. I'm married to somebody with so much freaking potential. And it's, it was hard to, to be able to try to communicate without trying to, without breaking anything. And so knowing, knowing what I know now, would I've done anything differently? Probably I would have done a lot differently, but I'm just glad that, um, I have a wife now who broke herself and figured it out. I want to know, like, how, what was the process? What was the full process of, of you breaking into the place where you are now? A couple of things. Um, one, I had to kind of rediscover myself and to figure out who I am without everybody else. Like, I know who I am as a wife and as a mom, but I had forgotten who I was as Alicia. So simple stuff like figuring out what I like now because things have changed. You know, I've changed. I've grown. I've gotten older. I've had more experiences. I'm in this parent thing and this wife thing. So they're all kind of lessons that, you know, you learn through that process. But I had to figure out who I was what I liked, what I wanted to do, what my strengths 
were now because I had given up a lot of me to become a stay-at-home mom. And I, I always say I go, I went in kind of bottles blazing because I had had such a rough start, you know, in the beginning of not knowing or not thinking I deserved to be a mom. And then having the boys and having such rough pregnancies. And now I'm all in as a stay-at-home mom and trying to figure out, well, what does that look like? Um, what, what, because I've never, you know, the people that I knew that were stay-at-home moms, I had like an aunt, one aunt who I never knew that she, I've never seen her, known her to work. Um, but I never thought I was like her. So what does this look like being a stay-at-home mom? Um, what does this look like just navigating? You know, I had two littles three years apart and my husband's a truck driver. So what does that look like? And how do I do this thing? So I had a lot of learning and, and all moms do. We all, we, none of us know what to do with that first kid, like really. And so, and then the second one comes along you think you got it. And then that's a whole different kid. So you got to learn that kid all over again. Um, so I had to learn me all over again. And that, and that took some journaling. That took some kind of figuring out simple stuff like, well, what, what, what do I like? What's my style now? Because I had given up a lot. Like I'd given up my career. I had given up me, you know, now that I'm at home, I, I don't have to be I don't have to, you know, necessarily dress cute because what's the point? Because somebody's going to touch me with some kind something on their hands. And now whatever I'm wearing is now stained. So I'm not going to be able to wear that. So why wear cute stuff anymore? Um, I had stopped wearing jewelry. For me, a big thing was earrings and a watch. I always had that. And then after having these two rambunctious, um, lively kids, I stopped wearing jewelry because there was always somebody pulling on me and that just became dangerous or there were balls flying or something flying in the air, a block, I'm stepping on something, something happening where it became dangerous to even wear jewelry around these kids. And so I stopped. And then somewhere in that, I I realized um, as I was kind of rediscovering myself, that I really had stopped everything about who Alicia was. And the simple fact of buying a pair of earrings had become crucial for me. In an earlier, when the boys were little, I had a mentor and she was really kind of doing what I'm trying to do now, but on a smaller scale, she was really... She would tell me how much I needed to take care of myself. Um, And and one of her goals for me was to buy a pair of earrings. And this was in that season where I didn't buy anything for myself. Um, Everything, you know, we're one income. So I'm always conscious of the budget. And so, you know, if it wasn't for the boys or for the house, then I generally didn't do anything for myself. And so her thing was just go and buy a pair of earrings, buy a pair of $5 earrings. And that would send me, I don't think I, I don't think I did that when, I don't think I ever did that. Like every, when we would meet, 
And she would tell me if I did my, ask me if I did my homework. I was like, um, see what had happened. Um, you know, somebody needed this. I always had an excuse. I always had an excuse to do something, uh, for someone else and not for me. So, so when you lost yourself, does that mean that you didn't care about yourself? It wasn't that I didn't care. It was that I had spent so much energy concentrating on everybody else that I just kind of forgot about me. And I think that happens a lot with most moms. It's not that we don't, our priorities change. You know, we, we, with all with all parents or most parents, I should say, good parents, I'll throw that out there. Uh, we, you know, we want to do the best for our kids, and we want to do the best for our family unit. And so, when you go all in, and you just are concentrating, it it's it's it goes into one of the myths that I. I'm trying to break or help moms break and that kids come first, clutch the pearls. I know some people are going to have a hard time with that one. Right. But kids really, kids are our priority. They're our love. We want the best. We want to give them all that we can to help them launch into the world with love and respect and be all that they can be, but they don't come first. And when we put them first, and everything, and and it's and it's hard and, and it's a hard, it's hard not to think everything is about them. So so wait a minute. So you know, speaking speaking for those who are aren't here, what you mean by don't put the kids first? I mean, what 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 you talking about? How you how you gonna how you gonna come over here and and talk this smack? about you don't put your kids first. What kind of weed are you smoking, sis? I mean, break it down for me. Make make them, put the people in the back, make them understand. First of all, it's biblical. There's a biblical order to things. Christ, God, wife, kids. They are not first. My covenant with my husband comes first and it trickles down to the boys and what we forget and even if you're a single mom you know your covenant is with with your with Christ well if you're a believer if you're not you still come before the kids and I'm not saying that everything you know you don't make decisions that have the kids in mind that you don't consider because our goal as parents is to love and launch the kids. Right. Love, love and launch, love and launch. We can't, but if we put them, if we're, if they think the sun revolves around them, then they're, and that's putting them first in everything and all their wishes and dreams and they're, you know, making all of that, the, the first order of business, then they think that they should be the first order of business and everything. They think 
the world should revolve around them and it does not. And so when we launch and when they launch into the world on their own, if they have that mindset that they should come first, they're screwed. Spoiled brats. Spoiled brats, but they also are going to have a hard time with relationships because they're not going to understand that relationships are a give and take. It's not all about you. It's about what you bring to the table and what the other person brings to the table and how you can build together. And then when we, um, but when we make everything around them, then our love becomes, we, we become martyrs for loving our kids because we, 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 we want to, every, all of us dies to them. And what happens when we, make everything about them and show, you know, we, we want to martyr our love for them. Our relation, our relationships, our marriages, our friendships, our careers, everything takes a hit because now the focus is, is on this kid who thinks this, everything revolves around them. And so we make everything about them. And so that impacts our, our, our relationships, our love relationships, because we don't have the time or energy now or the focus. You, you barely could, you, how can you focus on someone else if you can barely focus on you? Cause you, all your focus and energy is on this little person. And that that's pretty serious because I've, I've seen that in, in couples to where they'll put all their eggs in that basket. I've seen it to where parents have the, the young child sleeping in the bed with them at still at the age of six, seven, and eight. And that is unfortunate because it does put a kink in a marriage situation. And then what happens? And then what happens when they leave? Because remember, our goal is to love and launch them confidently into the world. So when they are in the world, they have a self-confidence confidence that is built on, you know, strong relationships, being able to trust and be trustworthy. Uh, all those things that we, we want our kids to, we want them to, the kind of adult we want them to be. But when they're gone and we focused so much on them, and haven't taken the time to focus on inward and on our relationships, our other relationships, what do you have? What are you going to have? Now you've got a shift, right? If there's something even there to shift and to work on, and you got to figure out how to work on that. And so I'm not, when I say the kids don't come first, I'm not saying that they're not a priority, but you are a priority too. Absolutely. As a mom and as a dad and as a couple, you know, you have to make that a priority. And when you do, it doesn't just benefit. It's not just an inward benefit. It doesn't, when I became, when I came out of my shell and started to be bolder and really get back to who I am, it did not negatively impact my family. If anything, I think it sent a shockwave through the family and 
they got excited because I was back. Now, some stuff they didn't necessarily like, but they had to get over it <laughs> because I'm going to be who I am. And, and that means I'm going to have to set some boundaries and implement them as well. And speak up for myself and teach teach my well, I didn't really have to teach my boys how to speak up for themselves because they kind of they got that Washington in them. So but I had to we had to and we still are trying to teach them how to do it um confidently or I guess respectfully or empathetically, depends on which kid we're talking about, because you know. We got some we got some special kids. So let's so let's take it back a minute. And because I know you you've had a, a long way to go in your marriage. I know you had a long way to go in your in your uh being a parent. And I know it's hard. So part of your journey is is like everybody else's. Our journeys is steeped with pain and trauma. And that can create the person that we are now. The reason why Marquise is so hard and crusty is because of the things that I've had to deal with coming up as a kid. But even though a lot of that defined me, it doesn't necessarily keep me entrapped uh, like it used to because I've had some growing up to do. I had to look inward to find out who I was and how I can use my information uh, to move me forward without it being a hindrance. I still got my my issues and, and all of that, but I'm self-aware. I'm very much aware of my personal issues, my personal baggage, my emotional damage. I'm, I'm self-aware and that in, in in the words of G.I. Joe, knowing is half the battle. So talk to us about where you came from to get to the point of now. What happened in your life that will that created you? What happened? Mm, so many things. But I think one of the things. Um, what I've been sharing recently in my motherhood journey, the, I guess, milestones or um, major things that happened was I had two terminations before I was 21. And the first was at 16. And that baby was born out of love. It was you know, I was 16, I was dating a senior, we were all in love, and uh found out we were pregnant and you know, had you know planned to get married after he graduated and, and all the things, right? And my mother, because I was young, and when you're young, you're dumb. Um, my mother had found the program, the church program that I had, that we were writing notes back and forth in church about the baby. And she, and as usual, she would either ask me about Sunday service or 
she would grab the program and see what was on the program. And as usual, when I came home, I just kind of dropped the program down wherever because I was 16 and that's what 16 year olds do. And not realizing that we had had a whole conversation about the baby on this particular program, which my mother picked up and began to read and called out my name. And and when I came, I was in my room and she called me and I knew I was in trouble because it was that voice, right? We all know the mama voice. Um, and I came around, I remember coming around the corner and seeing her face as she held up this church program. And I could just feel the world, everything just crashing around me. And so through that, it was kind of given um, what I what I call an ultimatum. She was like, it's either the baby or me, or that's how I took it. Because um, she said she was not raising any kids, any babies. And so I chose my mom. Um, I think in retrospect, she would have come around, but I didn't know that then. And I didn't, I got, I didn't want to change it. I could not imagine doing anything without my mom, right? So fast forward at 21, I was a, not a senior. It was my summer of my, summer before my senior year of college, found out I was expecting again and went completely numb and went in and knew that I was not, knew what decision I was going to make and made it and then went on with my life. Um, And so with those two behind, those two experiences behind me and having to kind of come to grips, have those God moments where I sought forgiveness for that still was hard for me to forgive myself, even though I, I knew and accepted God's forgiveness. I had a long road to forgive myself in that. And then fast forward, getting married, and we lost our first um, baby. We had named her Victoria. We lost her at 19 weeks. And having that loss was, um, I, I truly believe that I was diagnosed with what was what's called an incompetent cervix. And I truly believe that's a physical consequence of those two terminations. And so with losing her, even in that, it was a God kiss because I never wanted to have another DNC. And so that was my fear with having um, this miscarriage and so far along in the game. But I was... And I know this sounds crazy to a lot of people, but I truly felt I was blessed in being able to birth her into the world, even knowing that she would not be able to live outside of my body, but being able to give birth to her and not, and, and hold her in my hand whole was a true blessing for me. It was a God kiss. It was God saying, I got you. And he did. And so we were able to, um, hold her, touch her and say goodbye to her. And then a year later, I was pregnant with our oldest and had definite 
pregnancy struggles with both of my boys, but they're here. They're 18 and 15 today. And I, so along that journey, when they came, I was all in because I never thought I was going to be gifted with another child. And for so many years from that day that my mom found <clears throat> that program, I felt like I had to regain my good girl status. And so that turned into making sure I was a good mom and and not just a good mom, but that ideal, perfect super mom. That's a that's a that's a hard situation. So you put yourself in a box. Oh yeah. Basically after after birthing children you had to create a persona of sorts of of like you said of being the the, the image of of mom the the image of motherhood right we all when and we all fall into that well what does this look like what is it supposed to look like and so you know what's the good christian mom look like and we paint that so we try to paint our picture based upon what we what we think or what's been given to us as what mom should do, what mom should look like, how mom should speak. And along that journey, little by little, we lose a little bit of ourselves because we're trying to model something or someone else. And it's not the, the model that's necessarily the bad thing, but it's how much we judge ourselves against that model and that there's some things that we have that we just need to own it and bring to the table and not try to hide it and everybody is different everybody has different skills or superpowers um but it's but a lot of times we don't recognize what powers we do have because we're trying to emulate somebody else's so so who who were you trying to emulate? I mean, was there anybody in particular that you kind of wanted to have a certain parental style or a certain parental look? I mean, did you did you really think about that very specifically like that? I mean, did you want to be a Huxtable? I mean, what did what did what did you want to do? Everybody wanted to be Claire Huxtable. Come on, she was our ideal mom. Like, come on now. The Huxtables were it, and I, you know, and I grew up on, on that, and so of course I think all of those images play a role. I wanted, personally, I think you know I wanted to be the good Christian mom. I wanted, and I'm learning how to do this mom thing, and then I'm learning how to do this um, stay-at-home mom thing because that was a whole different level, and now and then I became a homeschooling mom. So you know there were always things that I'm had to learn how to do and and so i'm you know reading books i'm you know following this person following that person trying to piece together something that's going to work um for me and for this our household and our family and it was an you know I'm, it was an always ongoing thing and in that trying to piece together because even when I'm homeschooling 
I was homeschooling um, what's going to be best for the boys because that was the whole purpose of us homeschooling in the first place was what was going to work for them. And somewhere in that, I've, I still didn't put me in it. Like, what do I do well and how can I use that to help them? So, so in your transition, no, let, let me go back. Cause I, you know, mentioning the Huxtables, we kind of dated ourselves. <laughs> and so to those who don't know who the Huxtables are, just, you know, go look at, look at the Cosby show. So you'll know who the Huxtables are. So my, my question now for you, Alicia is your support structure, you had a lot of it. And, and, and um, from, from literally from girlfriends, from girlfriends to groups, even some men come alongside. You had members of the church community. When I say church community, it's just not a home church. We had a church community. Talk about as as a as a person coming into themselves or discovering what they need in order to make themselves a better individual or to find themselves you you first must know that you're lost first and then feel uh, find out how you can get yourself back so kind of discuss that and the support structure that you had coming along the way Hold on. So what was my soul? Because you just said a whole lot. What was my support structure? And what was the other question? Let's just go with that for now. Okay. Let's talk about your support structure. Uh, how, you know, who did you have come alongside you and help you along in the realization of who you needed to become, um, which is you need to find yourself who, who was it? Did you seek out anybody at all? And did you have any support at home? <laughs> I mean, what, what happened? <laughs> okay. So a couple things, everything on my desk is falling. Uh, but the other thing is in terms of support systems, um, I will say that the, the, Support that I had the most in helping me connect to me and kind of getting back to Alicia and refocusing on how I moved in the world was when I did coaching for myself. I was um, I was doing the $5 business, $5 jewelry business, and that was another way of me kind of finding something for me. And so I did a coaching, I, I hooked up with a coach, a business coach, and who became a little bit more than a business coach, um, who, who basically challenged me in a lot of different areas, because as we talked, and she was the one who said, this is not what you, like, this is fine, but this is not what you need to be doing. If you, if you really want to do what you're saying, which was, you know, to help women and, and to, um, I don't know, do all the things that, that I talk about now, 
she's like, this is not, this, this jewelry company is cute, but you need to be doing some other things. And she was the one that pushed me out of my comfort zone uh, to do other things because I, I do, I have a fantastic support system. Um, I've always had sister friends in my life. That was, has been one of my prayers from when I was young. I always, I don't need a lot of people around me, but I do need that one person, you know, that one or two people. And so I've always had those one or two sister friends who we don't even need to hang out all the time. Well, back then I did like my BFF, it was just me and her, but, um, I've always had sister friends. I've always had, you know, women around me who love me, who nurture and guide. But the problem is I'm one of those strong, I'm, I'm the strong friend. And so with the strong friends, you don't, they don't get checked on a lot. So there's a whole meme, a whole thing out there now that says, check on your, check on your strong friends. Because we're usually the ones who act like we got it all together. Or you don't know that stuff is falling apart because we just don't tell you. Because we're constant, we're good. And I know this is this is my gift. I'm excellent at turning stuff around and putting it on somebody else. So what's going on with you? How did that work out? And, you know, as humans, we all love to talk about ourselves. So if I can turn it back and put the focus back on you, which I'm very skilled at, and I'm sure Mr. Washington can attest to that. I ain't said nothing. (laughs) Um, Then I don't have to share what's going on with me. And so that has been a skill, um, good or bad, that I've had for years. And so even though I had a very strong support network, not everybody knew the struggles that I was having because I wasn't either sharing it or if it got too hot, I would turn it back. Now, the beauty in my support network, especially as we get older and get to know each other even better and better and better, my sister friends, When I voice, well, it's two things. Um, One, I had to start being more transparent. I had to do that in my marriage because that was a big thing that that was a big uh, barrier in my marriage. Um, So I had to, I had to learn how to stay in the hot seat. And and I, I don't know if I shared that first or they just kind of figured it out, but a couple of key friends figured out what, how I work and how I moved. And so they just stopped allowing me to get out of the hot seat. Um, and they would, no, no, we're not talking about me. We're talking about you. And I had to sit in the hot seat and take the heat and either you know, share what was, was going on and realizing when I shared that I wasn't alone in what was happening either. Um, but really 
when they say check on your strong friends, don't, as a strong friend, we have to be more forthcoming in what's really going on so that we can get the support that we really need because it's there. And then, uh, yeah, if, if you have that friend who you need to check on, don't let them get out the hot seat. And you know who you talk, you know the one I'm talking about. So don't let them get out the hot seat. So let me so let me ask you this. When as as just bringing it current to your coursework mm -hmm. is developing those type of friendships, is that a is that a part of the is that, is that a part of the curriculum? Is like, you know, who 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 you have around you you become them in a, in a manner of speaking? Um, no. Well, I'll, and I'll put it this way. Because I don't, the goal is not to become someone else, but you do, iron sharpens iron. So you want to be around people who are going to um, motivate you to be you and to be your most authentic self and to grow and to develop and celebrate you for you. And the piece the the bloom program is a group coaching program so it's at least five people and i keep it small because there's a lot of work there's a there's a lot of work because i keep you in the hot seat um basically and not all the time but you, you you're in the hot seat you because this is about this is about your growth and your development and your next steps Right. And so you, you got to have a little fire under you to make those those moves. So. I forgot what I was going to say. No, that's all right. So <laughs> so because we, we were we were talking about. Bringing not necessarily bringing people along with you, but you have to be careful who you surround yourself with. Go ahead. And. This is what I was going to say, and. And when you talk about your building your community, like I'm, I'm building a community of women who are ready to support and celebrate each other, but also building your inner circles and checking in with that inner circle. Cause there are some women out there that don't have, like, I know my inner circle, my sister friends, um, they're a gift. Like, my circles are amazing. Even the ones that I don't talk to every day. Like I have sister friends that I don't talk to every day, but if I call them right now, we catching up for at least a half an hour to an hour. And the love that's there, if I needed something, if they needed something, it's there. Not everybody has that and that's a true blessing so really building up your your online community and accountability is what i do in terms of program but helping you to build up that inner circle of people and understanding who they are what they bring to the table what your relationships with them are. Because some people have to learn how to make friends. And that's not easy because a lot of us have trust issues. There are some women who don't trust other women. 
because of the hurts that they've had in the past. And so that becomes a difficulty in building those circles of support. Um, but giving people a chance is a skill. And, and that's something that I hope to help teach people how to build those circles around them. And that means getting out of your comfort zone. So what, a will tell you what, give me, because you, 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 you were on, as you were talking, I was thinking about um, something in, in the title or something that I've read early about the myths and mistakes. Give me an example of a myth. Give me an example of a mistake. Well, I've given you two already. One is the supermom that we have to be perfect and we have to be the supermom because with the supermom myth means um, one, all superheroes have to hide their identity, right? So if you're the supermom, then you're hiding who you are from the world because you're trying to live up to someone else's expectations and you're trying to save the world. You're trying to save everybody around you. And in that process, you're dying, you're lying on the floor because you don't have enough for you because you're pouring it out to everybody else. You don't have enough to focus anything on you. And so that's a, a big myth. And that super mom myth goes into the mistake of ignoring your wants and dreams and um, goals because we're so busy trying to either save the world or have the perfect image of saving the world or being that perfect mom, being the, um, the cookie cutter mom that we are not focusing on what our real dreams are what our goals are outside of the kids. Like we have goals for our kids, right? We, we want right now, the biggest thing in the Washington household is getting our, our eldest child graduated. Like that's the push. That's the end all focus is to get him graduated and get the youngest child healthier. Those are our focuses right now. So we all have these things. But do we have those goals for ourselves as moms? And that's the piece that was missing for me. I wasn't really focusing in. And even when I would try, I would lose it. The motivation to do it wasn't there. So that's a big myth. Um, kids coming first, that's a big myth. Because although they're important and they're, we love them and they are a major priority, we still have to come first. And I use the example of the oxygen mask because, you know, I have some uh, flight attendant friends who, who really push that because that's a safety issue. If you have a young kid with you, especially you have to put on your mask first so you can help this kid. Cause if you go, then if you pass out, then there's, who's going to help them. And that's the same with being a parent, being a mom. If we are too tired, if we are too empty to give what we need to give to our kids, then what did what then where does that leave them, right? So being able to um the kids coming first is 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 one. We well that was actually self-care is selfish. 
That was where the oxygen mask. Oh, the self care is selfish. That that is <laughs> that that is that is just. It's like you said. It's it's a myth. That's freaking ridiculous. Self care is selfish. What? But every self care is great for everybody else but moms, because moms aren't really. We get into um, a judgment thing. We're well, well, moms. well. I'll tell you like this. There's an expectation that the mother is rock solid the mother does not waver the mother is is like the air you breathe always there always in your stuff always around your stuff she you can smell her perfume even when she's not home she's still there and it is it is it's hard it's it's very exhausting to to definitely always have to be it and 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 not only that not just it you have to be on because raising children is a 24 7 365 no vacay when you get sick tough chili beans Tough chili beans. That's for the mom, though. Yeah. yeah. That's for That's the mom. Time. Not for the dad. That's my oh, the, 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 <laughs> we can go to the daddy, baby. But well, this this is not the daddy time. This is not the daddy time. I might have to come up with a with a with a comparable to, to yours, uh Miss Miss Alicia. Let's go. I might have to come to a comparable choice, baby. <laughs> yes, indeed. Because the dad, <laughs> the stuff that I learned along the way, Lord have mercy. But this is not about this is this is your this is your deal. Not <laughs> you, you know, I didn't come in for me. I came in for you. What you you are the mother. You are the queen of the queen. And well, okay, as a father, as a husband, because I realized this. And I don't know if that's something that she said or if I just realized it because I'm wise. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But it's one of them situations whereas your wife needs a break. And what's funny is now that I'm an old guy, all my young male friends who are married, married with children, I encourage them to like when you're done, for the day, you need to get home and give her a break because she hasn't had one. My wife used to tell me, because I was a truck driver, my wife used to sit, my wife had the audacity to tell me, she goes, oh, you get breaks. You in that truck, I mean, you get breaks. And a piece of me, I'm like, no, I don't get no breaks, babe. I don't get no breaks. But truth be told, I do get breaks. I mean, but however, that's a completely different lifestyle. Yeah, I might get breaks, but I'm inside a container smaller than a prison cell, 24 7, 365. And the only break that I get is when I get home. And the last thing I want to do is have to deal with everybody. But, but 
being a father, being a husband. You got to get in where you fit in because Mrs. Washington is out here regularly. And, and that one, that's a whole other chapter in the book of marriage to where if, if you do have a stay-at-home mother, when you come home, if you like me, I was away a lot. To those who come home every day, it's a different, different scenario. But for the truck driver chronicles, yo, if you're gone for like a week, that's her house. Unless you guys come up with some magical mystery formula, that's her house. And when you come in, you don't want to be a disruption to the, to the group of the house. I was a complete disruption because I was a king supreme. You got to do it my way, gosh, don't will be some trouble. And so, yeah, that didn't work out too well. But that didn't, that didn't, that didn't work out too well at all. But, um, you know, you, 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 as the old folks say, keep on living. And I would also say to everybody that when you're married with children, or even if you just have children, what you will have 365 is an education. And you are going to have to bathe yourself because you are a teacher, but you are a student. Because the thing that these kids will teach you, you ain't ready for. You are not ready for. And so in this whole growth thing that you've heard Alicia talk about, she has learned from those children of how to be a better woman, how to be a better mother, and how to be a better wife just by being a parent. And, and also uh, being a better child of God. I know for me, I've learned more about God by having children than I did by sitting in anybody's church. And, but I'll save that for another time. But Miss Washington, tell us more about it, like where you are now. Tell us more about your plans for the future because you've come a long way in this whole process of growth. What's going to happen right now? I know you're teaching and reaching and all of that. So what's what what have have you learned anything new to tell us? Good question. I think because um, you, you you said you you asked me two things: what's next, and what's new, basically. And I would say my what's next is I'm not sure, but I'm open, and that. I'm open and I'm bolder now. And that might have come with age, discovery, all the things, right? And so we'll see what's next because um, again, I'm I'm open to the opportunity and the possibilities. And I'm seeking possibilities and opportunities. And so who knows what's next, but I'm moving to moving forward and continuing to do what I feel like I've been called to do. Define that 
being bolder, the, the, define being bold. I, I mean, it wasn't like you were shy. I've always been shy. Yeah, I'm not shy to you because you're my husband. But out and listen, don't 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 let me throw something at you. Whatever. <laughs> Bolder in the sense of um, reclaiming, as the saying goes, reclaiming my time. I am bolder in doing more, stepping outside of my comfort zone. I would I, I would put it like that. And even doing things like this, like podcasts and podcast interviews and and you know, teaching and group work is my is my jam. That's some of the, that's one of the things that I've always loved and always done. Um, but doing it more, as a profession now and as a business, that's a bold move for me. Like I've always done it as like through the nonprofit uh, world and, and doing it more as ministry and that kind of thing. But doing it now as a business is a bold move um, and being confident enough to know that what I bring to the table is phenomenal. And what I can help someone do is transformative. And so being excited about that and standing on that, like knowing knowing what my power is and being bold in that, um, that's kind of where I am and, and what's next. Um, I guess what the, the new thing that I've learned would be, and I don't know if it's a new thing, but it's a continual thing, is to keep going and to keep, um, not keep, well, keep learning. That's kind of a given, but to stand, stand my ground, like to know what I bring to the table is valuable. And to know that even if I didn't bring it to the table, that I'm still valuable and I'm still worthy. Um, regardless of what I do, my worth still stands. Now, it's, now we're going to go ahead and wrap this up, but for women out there who are viewing this, who have children, married, unmarried, considering having children, what type of word would you give them? What type of encouragement can you leave the listeners and the viewers with? Hmm. I would say to the moms out there, in whatever phase that you are, enjoy the moments of mothering because they we don't get those back. But in that, make sure you're finding your joy outside of the kids because your joy matters too. And continue to tap into what brings you joy, what your dreams are, hold on to that. And it's gonna change as you get older, as the kids get older, as you're in different seasons of your life, um, as the kids are in different seasons, things change, but go with that. Don't get so stuck on having to be 
what someone says or what you thought you were supposed to be before the kids. Because now you, it's going to be different. But what does that what does that look like for you? And really tapping into who you are now and who you want to be later and continuing that journey. Don't leave yourself out of the equation. Excellent word. Um, so about this book, um, are you writing a new book now or what is what is happening on the on the book and tour front? I, I want to know. I'm nosy. I do have a book that I've been writing, but I don't have anything. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm going to take um, the the chapter that I did in Girl, Your Brain's a Good Deal, Big Deal. It's called um, Girl, My Journey to Motherhood, Birth to Brand. And all of what I've gone through in terms of um, rejecting motherhood and then going all in to motherhood is where I am, is how I got to where I am now and helping moms to bloom. And bloom means to build confidence, live with intention, operate in your purpose, obtain clarity of direction and move to the next level. So with all of that, I do want to write the bloom book and how and take that chapter because there's so many um, pieces to the story and so many lessons in the story that are only a little touch in the chapter. So, yes, it's coming hopefully by, oh, if I say it, maybe it'll happen. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to put, Go it, ahead, out put it out there by my birthday, which is April 17th, 2024. Ooh, did I just put that out there? That's what? About nine months. Ooh, about the time it takes to have, wait, how many months is that? Seven months. Seven months. Correct my math if I'm wrong. Oh, you put it on out there, girl. <laughs> you put it on yeah, out there. So, ooh, I put it out there, y'all. So hold me accountable to get this book by my birthday or by my birthday month. Let's go. What, what, and what was the title? I don't have a title yet. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, keep that title under wraps. I don't have a title yet, but I know, I know there are different chapters. I've all, I have the chapters in my head, um, and one is definitely uh, what is it? Dang, now I lost it. Snow tracks in the snow, um, tire tracks in the snow, something like that, because that was a piece of the lesson from when we lost our daughter Victoria. Yeah, those those were were interesting times. Mm -hmm. Interesting times indeed. Can you uh you want to stick around a little bit? Um, unless you have to go, uh, we can actually dig into that time where it was it was balls to the wall. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you want to stick around, we can take a short break. If you want to stick around, that's fine. If not, we are not going to worry about it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is what you're watching right now, Spyback Radio. With me over there is Alicia, the illustrious Alicia Washington, who has a wonderful website, more than mom.live is where you can find her. And also, tell us the title of your current 
uh, Reedy, is that girl, your brand's a big deal? Yes, girl, your brand's a big deal. You can find it on Amazon, and I'm chapter 13. Fantastic. Are you going to stick around? or I will stick with you through thick and thin. Ooh, chai. Y'all heard that here. We are going to take a short, short, short. Did I say short? We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back in a flash. This is Fireback Radio with Brother Marquise. Fireback Radio. You can find us online at firebackradio.com. And of course, I'm your host, Brother Marquise. All 
right, this is Brother Marquise back again on the, this is uh, part two, or this is, we're going to just call this overtime with Alicia Washington, who is the author of Girl, Your Brand's a Big Deal. And I'm going to bring her up in a minute, but I wanted to just kind of set the stage of our pregnancy with our first child, Victoria. And from a from a, from the standpoint of the husband, it was, and this is personal stuff. This is some back backdoor stuff. So you guys literally just walked into the room. But from uh, from a husband and a father standpoint, being married and whatnot, it was was fantastic. We were excited. This was our first child together, and we were elated. And and we were it, it came just like this. We were elated until we weren't, because we were pregnant. It was winter time. You know, when, when this is your first child, you, everything looks different. It's like being in love. Everything looks different. Everything smells different. The tastes are vibrant. You think you're, you're alive and all that other kind of stuff. It was great. Until one day, we actually went for a checkup, just routine checkup. And my wife was on the table and the nurse was getting a peek in there and seeing with the dilation, if there was anything going on. And the nurse kind of just kind of stepped back and stood up. She goes, uh, I'm going to go get the doctor. And so the look of concern on her face kind of perplexed myself and my wife. And we kind of laughed about it because it was funny. It was, you know, it was, it was all extra serious. You know, we, we had a, let, let, let me tell you something about Alicia and myself. We have a good time no matter what. If if you all were at our wedding, you would have seen us laughing at each other, saying our vows. It was ridiculous. And so we kind of carry on like little kids sometimes. It's fantastic. But in, in this case, we didn't know what the, what the expectation was. And so, and this is my side of the story, just, you know, from my side, but I just want to bring you in and get a little equilibrium here. So the doctor comes in and the doctor goes in, takes a look, looks under the hood, if you will. And she basically says, oh, shucks, we got to get you to the emergency room. And we're like, what? So speak English because the emergency room, we didn't come here to go to the emergency room. We came here just to see what's going on. You go back home, eat some wings watch the game, you know, do what other, you know, grown folks do. But no, we we had to stop everything because my wife had something called an incompetent cervix. And basically that means that if I'm if I'm not mistaken, you predilate or that your the child has a your your body does not have the ability to properly contain the child. I'll, I'll say it like that. Cervix cannot hold the baby. Let me just go ahead and bring the wife in because I don't want to speak out of turn. It's not proper. 
along with me, ladies and gems. You've seen her before. You're going to see her right now. This is my beautiful wife, Alicia. So, so go ahead and tell a part of that story. I, I kind of painted the picture of um, the front side of where we were when we found out that Victoria was in trouble. You painted a good picture. Like that was, like it was some stuff I had kind of forgotten, kind of blocked out, I guess. Um, but just to kind of go back and competent cervix means that your cervix is too weak to bring the baby to term. So we found out I had started crowning at 16 weeks. And at that point, yeah, I did. I had to have what was or what's called a cerclage. I never heard of that before in my life. Um, and even today, when I say that, some people are like, oh, what? And basically, they had to sew my cervix up. And and then I went. So they sewed my cervix up. They gave me antibiotics and they sent they sent us home. Right. So for three weeks, I was on bed rest at home. Um, I can't remember if we had to go. I can't remember if we had to go back to the doctor within that time. But right around the time our antibiotics, we stopped using the antibiotics, is uh, around about 19 weeks. And my cervix, and then my water broke. And that was the beginning of the end of our first pregnancy. Do you want me to continue the, all the gruesome details or? <laughs> well, a, a lot of times, a lot of times people have no understanding like we did. We didn't have any understanding of what was happening. I mean, we, we, we knew, yeah. but. I would say we didn't understand what was happening or I didn't understand what was happening when they gave us, when we had to do this a clash um, and everything seemed to be doing okay. Right. When, while I was on antibiotics and, and then we had one crazy night where everything just, my whole body just went crazy and stuff was coming out everywhere. And then the water broke and it was, we knew then this was not a good thing. Um, and it was Christmas day, actually <laughs> it was Christmas day. And, um, yeah, we, I remember you went out, you got the, you got the car and it was snow on the ground. And so you pulled the car up, loaded me in and we drove in silence to the hospital we knew what was happening and um and i just remember everything being quiet like we didn't call anybody we had decided not to call anybody because it was christmas day and we didn't want to you know and ruin anybody's christmas and so we went to the hospital and we had to wait i remember waiting and waiting um, because they wanted to see if I could give, if I could, if, 
give birth um, first before anything, before they would have to take other measures. And I remember waiting in that hospital room, giving birth to her um, in the in the quiet of that room. Even even when 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 I did have her, in the quietness of that moment, because you think when you have a baby, you listen for the cry. I can tell you, um, I can tell you one thing that was not said, and this is some deep, deep rooted emotional. This is just ridiculous. I remember the drive to the hospital. You you sobbed the whole time. I remember sitting in the hospital with doubts floating around. I was in I was in the hospital and listening to the nurses uh, talk about, you know, what the next move is. I, I remember hearing the doctors conversate with the nurses about, you know, what we are going to need in this particular room. I think I may have stepped out once or twice because I was pretty much zoned out. I was, I was, I was in over my head but I was in the moment and it just seems like at the time, everything gets really, you hear things differently. It just kind of magnifies and it's crazy the stuff that you pick up, but here, here's the part of the story that, that I remember the doctor came in and, and he, and this is, and you guys have heard something like this earlier. The doctor came in, and he gave us an option. The doctor said, well, we can go in because she's not going to make it, but we can go in and get her and it, it'll be over with or we can wait. And my wife, and, and maybe, maybe I'm, I'm uh, I guess, going to go into it a little too uh, excitedly, but um, maybe I'm putting a little too too much mustard on a hot dog when I say this, but my wife stood up out of the bed and she she proclaimed, "Hell no, you ain't touching my baby." Is that is that right, honey? Is that is that what you said? Is that what you said? No, that is not what I said. I'm not standing up out of bed, but I was adamant that we would wait. And that, and that and that was a serious part about this whole process because because of the past incidences that my wife has had. Now I didn't I didn't bother question it because I'm with her on this one, and 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 this is what my wife said. My wife said, "Men will not touch this baby." My wife said. God wants the baby to be gone. It is on God's hand and God's hand alone. 
Yeah, you you, you said you said something like that. But it was it was by God's hand alone. A man will not touch the child. That's that's what I remember. And and I who am I? I'm like you heard the woman. We gonna lock this baby in the oven as long as we can. We gonna try to hold this baby as long as we can. And and I, I'm I'm gonna tell you something. We gave birth and we got a chance to hold her. And I mean, I, I want to move on past that to, to the growth part. But if you want to add something to that part, you can. I think the part that I remember, because I don't remember any of that. And it's interesting hearing you share your side of that. I don't remember the, hearing the nurses talk. I, I just remember everything being silent. It was so quiet in that room for me. Um, but I do remember after she was born, having the door open and seeing my aunt and uncle. And I remember us looking at each other like, did you call? No, I didn't call. Did you call? Um. And they came in and I asked them, how did they know we were at the hospital? And my aunt said that they came to check on us, check on your friends, check on your family. Because they hadn't heard from us. And remember, this was Christmas Day and we hadn't called anybody. We didn't go out and do anything. And she said they had come to check on us and they saw the tire tracks in the snow leading to the apartment or the townhouse and knew something was wrong or knew something was up. And sure enough, they found us in the hospital room. And although we started that experience wanting to be alone and not wanting to um, bring down anybody's holiday, the fact that they were there meant so much to me because we were not alone. Um, someone else got to experience our daughter. And it was, she was now, she was real. And, and it, that was the weirdest thing. She was, she was real. And she was real. It was real. The good and the bad and the ugly of it. And so having, yeah, having them walk through that door was another God kiss, was another moment of, mm, I see you and I'm here for you. And I don't, I know I needed them and I didn't realize how much I needed someone else in that room um, to help us carry that weight because the room was quiet and it was heavy and they helped carry that weight for us. I tell, tell you, that was a a trying time. But I want to I want to tell y'all a crazy blessing that came out of that. 
And for me, if I may, for me, it was the fact that I could stand with my wife at a pivotal, at a pivotal moment in our history. And it was, the whole situation was completely jacked up from start to finish, but, um, but the blessing was, was there. And like she said earlier, we weren't by ourselves. Um, but through that whole process of being in the hospital, leaving the hospital without our child, that was, that in itself is a traumatic experience. Yeah, yeah, all, all we got was a box. And it had her memorabilia in it. And that's all we got, uh, memory box. And so, over time, we struggled. We struggled a lot. I mean, there are days where I was just in pieces. And there are days where she was in pieces. And, you know, she and I were like two, two stumps leaning up against each other. Because, and I'm, I'm blessed. You know what's crazy is that that. I am glad we had that experience because if we weathered that storm, we can weather anything. Mm -hmm. Anything. Because I, I, I see a lot of people peeling off their, their marriages for stupid stuff. Yeah. And 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 then what was crazy was we we shared, we blamed ourselves for this. You know, we really blamed ourselves. I mean, I'm not going to tell you my situation because um, it's not your business right now. But I'm not going to tell you my situation. But my, my situation was just as, was different than my wife's, but yet it, it, it was complicated. It impacted. Yeah, the, the same impact happened. So we just we just really kind of sat down and just, we just had to breathe until we could stand. And, and, but it was a blessing in the curse. And, and here we are today talking about it. And we have children who no. was in the womb and they fought the same battle that Victoria, my first child did because we almost lost both of them too. And, but here they are 18 and 15. And, and the cool thing about it is that, that they know about their sister. And there was a time when they were talking about their sister as if she was on vacation. You know what I'm saying? That's some weird stuff, man. I mean, it was cool because. My it, sister in heaven. Yeah, it's our sister. And, and that, I, I mean, I don't even want to unpack that because that's a whole different level, whole different conversation. Well, you know, remember how we had to tell them about or why we told them about her in the first place? Hmm. Because they, I don't know how old they were. I, I think the little was about, the youngest was 
it was probably about three, three or four, but they had decided that we should have another kid. <laughs> they had decided that we needed more kids because we had more space in the van and at the table. So we needed, they, they wanted another um, sibling, a, a sister to be, I think they wanted a, a sister too. And they had been saying this for a minute, like, we need another, I think maybe at that point we had had our first minivan. And so <laughs> they, I don't know whose idea it was, but we needed more space. We, since we had more space, we needed more kids. That's, that's some crap David would say. <laughs> that's some crap David, that's the oldest boy. That's some crap David would say. He's looking around. We need more people. We need more people. And his brother was right there. Yeah. We need more people. So they had convinced, they were trying to convince us that we needed um, another baby and preferably a girl, preferably a little sister. Now, mind you, we also had friends who lived next door that were a part of our circle and still are a part of our circle. And it was um, four kids. Well, yeah, Joy was there. So four kids, uh, one boy, and three girls. So, you know, they, they saw that we needed more people. And so we decided to, to tell, we thought that if we told them that they had a sister in heaven, that that would seal the deal. And that would be the end of that because you have a sister. She's in heaven, but you have a sister. It did not. <laughs> but they did for a long time when people asked them about their family, they would say that they had a sister, but she was in heaven. That's right. That's exactly right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's that's pretty that's pretty serious. I mean, and I mean, for a while, that was a thing. For a while. I mean, not, not just having kids, but just for them knowing that they have a sister. Cause, my, cause we remember. I don't know. I don't know if you remember, but we shared with them the memory box. Oh yeah, absolutely. So we had to go through the memory box, so they saw a picture of her, and because um, they were like, and you know, we questioned about showing them the picture because um, she didn't look like a regular baby. She just wasn't fully developed. She was nineteen weeks, um, but we did. And so they got to see, like, this is, she was supposed to be in mommy's belly and she couldn't stay in there. And so now she's in heaven. But this was what her body looked like when she was born. You know and what I think, though? What? I think she knew. I think she knew. I think she knew about David and Jonathan. <laughs> she's like. And she was like, nah, I don't want that smoke. No, I want that smoke. They they got they got too much going on. I could do better watching them from heaven than on earth because them boys right there are gonna drive me crazy. She didn't want the smoke. Because yeah. right now she would be 19, 20. Yeah. Yeah. She'd be 19, 20 in college somewhere. And um wow. Yep. Wow. Yeah, she, she didn't she didn't want to ask more, but but ladies and gentlemen, this is um this is real life. Yeah. And 
it's not pretty out here. And I know other people have more colorful stories, um, and that's fine, but this is ours. This is just a, a piece of the life, which is Alicia and Marquise in the Washington house. So, Mr. Washington, what lesson did you learn from that journey, from that piece of the journey? Um, Well, you know what? I'll I'll, I'll tell you like this. Having, Having that happen to me was unreal. I was not prepared. And I still hadn't dealt with my mother's death. Hmm. And my mama died two days after Christmas. My firstborn came and left on Christmas. So that whole time for me has been a nightfall for me, meaning the sun goes down and doesn't come up (laughs) for me. I don't even know if there was any lessons because there was so much pain. Mm. And and like right now, probably within the last few years, I've just gotten over the trauma. There's still pain there, but the trauma has subsided. And other than life is freaking way too short, uh, it's one. The other thing, too, is there's something other than what we've been told about life and death. And, you know, nothing nothing is, is too big that God can't handle it. True. And so my job is to kind of stay out of the way. <laughs> stay out of the way. Because uh, a lot of times we, we have a need. I have a tendency to derail stuff before it happens. Or if I see something, I'm like, get my hand <clears throat> Sometimes you can't put your hand in. Sometimes you just got to let it, you got to go through. And there's nothing you can do except to suffer. And that, that right there is, is the hard lesson. That's the hard reality that sometimes you have to suffer because there is an other side to it whether you make it or not, you will wind up on the other side. And that's the part that I always have a hard time accepting with any situation, whether it's being abused or what have you, there's always the other side. And what we pray for is the stoppage for this to come to an end. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And trauma is is a mug, you know, and there's no easy way. There's no easy way. I, you know, I could have easily picked up a bottle and drank myself into a living, but I didn't. Right. Uh, I had other mechanisms. Uh, I was depressed a lot. And so how I cope, I, I ate. That was my goal to I had in my face. And Transformers. And what? Transformers. And Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's what it is. You know? But my whole thing, if you're going to do wrong, do wrong right. You know, I didn't do right. I didn't do right with the food stuff so much. But, I, you know, 
I wasn't necessarily destructive, but everybody has a different coping mechanism. And if you go through any kind of trauma, if you're gonna go through trauma, go through damage control in mind. Because you don't want to be so tore up from the flow up that you damage everybody that comes around And I will tell that to anybody before you, and this is something that I talked to Mrs. Washington about a lot, lot, and that's relationships when you're damaged. The last place you need to be is forming new relationships with people. Because if you are not whole yourself, then you're going to be spreading little pieces and parts all over the place, and you're intermingling with every piece and part. You never become whole because all your parts are scattered throughout the universe. You have to gather yourself, make yourself whole, then know who you are, and then move. You can't do it wholly unless that takes place. Uh, otherwise, you're going to risk damaging yourself further. You're going to risk damaging your spouse or your loved one and if you have any kids guess what all of those past traumas traumas will be imprinted on them because you act out and you put everything in you into them and then you wonder why your kids are crazy i mean sometimes it's not your fault well sometimes they and then sometimes they act like us oh god i would say Put a pin in that one, but I wanted to. I wanted to answer my my question. You know, what did you learn from that experience? And I think my biggest lesson was to trust God. Um, it's not an easy lesson when you go through tra- a traumatic experience, but that was the lesson. And I think um, one of the things that got me through, and I wish I could remember the title, but someone gave me a book called something about mm, the light something about ah gosh man I wish I could remember that title but basically the premise of the book is um focusing on the light that you have whether it's you know you whether it's a pin light in the darkness focus on that light and move toward that light and um, and that has just stuck with me. Like even in the darkest times, look for the light and focus on the light and the light will get brighter and you'll, you'll find more light as you move toward it. So I'm going to find that book and, and have Marquise post it somewhere on this thread, wherever it is. Because um, that was a powerful book. And I think it was a book on pregnancy loss um but yeah ah i can see the book cover in my head and that's gonna bother me that's all right we'll 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 get it now now posted but yeah it's it's life is hard y'all and a lot of this stuff that we're dealing with in life is so unnecessary I mean, we we deal with we deal with wars, we deal with famine, we deal with fires, weather, and and the whole nine, and and then and then you got to deal with the tap man. So unnecessary. Don't get me started. You get to the tax man. Yeah, the tax man. So yeah, I mean, all of that, all of that is is 
can mess you up in life. I mean, I'm not even gonna. I want to. I want to park the truck right there, but I'm not. But um, anyway, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and fade it on out. We have been discussing our personal trauma with losing our firstborn. This is kind of like the um, the nitty gritty portion that you're gonna probably see and, and hear about when you go through the coursework with uh, with with Alicia's coursework. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can find her at more than just mom dot live, and there you will find out everything you need to know, and probably can they schedule a time. Absolutely, um, hit me up at bitly bit dot ly slash discover with Alicia. If that was too much, just go to my Facebook page and hit the link discover with Alicia and book a call with me and we can talk about where you are, where you want to go and how it can help you get there. Fantastic. Well, Miss Washington, we're going to go ahead and seal a deal and time out on this piece. For for those who don't know, this has been a fantastic chat. And also when you, when you are looking at this video, you've seen some of the banners go by on the bottom. Those are my pseudo sponsors, you know, take a look and go there. And uh, if you need the assistance, like uh, avoiding foreclosure, if you know somebody, especially here in Indiana, call the JPT team of Indiana. I mean, right? the JPT team of Indiana. That's, that's all you need to look for. Because I think I put that down. It's jptteamindiana.com. Because I know that's a misprint right, right there. JPTeamIndiana.com. Let me go ahead and take that down before I lead somebody astray. We don't want no problem. But y'all, thank you for joining us here on Fireback Radio. We are going to have more to come in the days, weeks ahead. It's going into fall. And I'm cold already. And I don't like the job that I don't live with the cold too tough. Alicia, any last words for the crew here? Crew, I'm going to find the title of this book because it's bothering me. That's what I'm doing now, and now I'm on a mission. But <laughs> I'm here for you. Book a call with me. Let's find out um, where you are, where you want to go, and just keep moving. Don't give up on yourself. Let's go. Let's do this. All right, y'all. You guys heard it here first, and this is for the Marquise right here on Fireback Radio. Thank you for coming into the room. We will catch you later.